Are we good? We're not on yet. Oh, I just got the thumbs up from the back. We're good. Well, good morning. Uh, Again, I did forget to mention one thing in the announcements. Uh, We have communion today following uh, the sermon. So, great news about you being at home right now. You can just hit pause when it's that time and go get your stuff and and be ready for it. Um, We're just going to drop that down there so that doesn't distract me. Well, if you have not been with us the last number of weeks, we've started a series in 1 Corinthians, uh, and we are at the kind of the back half of chapter 3. So if you want to open your Bibles there, and I'll catch you up a little bit uh, with where we have been. One of the things that we're going to deal with this morning is this ongoing uh, theme that's going through Corinthians, and Paul's dealt with it from a number of different angles. Uh, let me just remind you real quick, Paul has written this letter to the church in Corinth. He planted the church on one of his missionary journeys uh, and then continued on to other places uh, to plant other churches, and what's happened is that there's been some problems, some very significant problems, and the longer First Corinthians goes on, the, the more complex we see these problems uh, and there's, there's a lot of them. But Paul writes this letter to them to deal with some of those things, uh, hoping that he will be able to get there again. But he's written this letter, and we're actually going to reference 2 Corinthians as well, which is another, his second letter, uh, at least the second letter that we know of, uh, written to them as well. And, and what you're going to see is actually he's still kind of dealing with the same issues. So there's a group of people in the church that are causing division. They are getting separated uh, from fellowship together, and they're elevating certain people based on on things like uh, who they heard the gospel from, whether it was Paul or Apollos or Peter or or who baptized them. And they're starting to think that certain people get, uh, they're more important. Their value is somehow higher because of this. And Paul's been arguing uh, through this using different examples and, and different things. He's talked about it, it's causing disunity because none of those things should matter at all. He talks about the kind of the main overall theme is their own arrogance of thinking they're, they're more valuable or they're more important than somebody else when the truth of the matter is God has created each of us in his image. He loves each of us desperately. We are all part of the same family in this church, or they are all part of the same family in this church, and that they should not think anyone is more important or has more value, but they are all loved by God. And so that brought us into chapter 3, and he started dealing with the maturity aspect, saying the disunity, the division, you arguing over which teacher you think is, is the correct one or gives you more prominence, all of that is showing you to be immature in your faith, because you're missing out on the whole idea. He called them uh, fleshly last week, saying you only, you only think with, with your human side. You're not looking at things from a godly perspective. Simply, you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to direct and guide you, but you think you have enough on your own. And so, they're lacking a, a great sense of humility Uh, Paul's been trying to show them that humility is vital uh, in our relationship with God because we need to see God for who he truly is and realize that we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve forgiveness, but it's been offered to us graciously through the blood of Jesus, uh, which 
we're going to celebrate at the end of this uh, time together here. Paul finished the the text in in chapter 3 by using this agricultural uh, metaphor, and and here it changes from agricultural to architectural. And uh, I really struggled spelling that word every single time, and I said it like a hundred times in my manuscript, and so every time I had to go back, it was really annoying. But architecturally, so he's looking at a building, he's looking at foundations, and really it's a very similar message to what we talked about last week. However, the reason I split it up is because there's a, there's a couple of verses here, kind of 13 through 15, that we're going to get to that need to be understood correctly in its context. Uh, and, and it can be confusing at first, but if we step back and we look at the whole letter as a whole, it should help us kind of understand exactly what Paul means. Because there's, there's a few people, uh, a few kind of parties, as it were, much like in the church in Corinth, there are a few parties within churches that do take a very strange stance on these verses that kind of undermine the gospel. And so I want to be clear about those. So let's read together. So chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians 10 uh, to 23, and then we'll examine them. So here's what it says. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive you. If anyone thinks... Sorry, if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the word of life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And all are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So now you may have kind of noticed there at verses 13, 14, and 15, uh, this, this interesting metaphor about building on this foundation. That some of it will be burned, and, and some of it will survive. That's kind of where we're going to spend a big chunk of our time here this morning, because I think it's important that we understand that correctly. But before we get there, verse 10, according to the grace God has given to me, it starts very similar to how he started in chapter 1. And it might sound strange uh, to you when Paul's dealing with the arrogance of the church within there that he then says, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. It's almost like Paul's giving himself a pat on the back and saying, man, I'm really skilled at this. But he prefaces that by saying, according to the grace of God given to me. See, Paul understands the the difference between humility and false humility. 
And that's something that we uh, need to understand as well, is we shouldn't apologize for those things that God has given to us, those things that God uh, has worked through us. He has done some great things. But what Paul understands is that it's not because of Paul that it was good. It was because it was of God. And the same is true of us, is when somebody comes to us and thanks us for some kind of great thing that we did for the church, it's not about us, and and we should understand that. The only reason that we're able to even do the things that God has called us to do is because of his grace given to us. And so Paul's not saying that he fumbled through creating a foundation. He, He says he did it skillfully because God's hand was on it. And so that's an important place for us to start. But Paul says, I laid the foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Now, presumably, based, based on what we've looked at in the first couple of chapters here, is he's speaking about Apollos, but certainly he's probably thinking a bigger picture than just the next. But he's realizing, uh, as we all should realize, is not one person only builds upon your spiritual life. There's, there's a context here where it could be understood from a church leadership standpoint. So in, in our culture, the pastor well, the pastor's not going to be your one and only pastor, more than likely. There'll be others that come. and There'll be others that build upon what was built before them. And Paul understands that. There's this sense of discipleship there. In, in our own personal lives, we all have others that have poured into our lives, that have helped us mature and helped us grow. And sometimes those are lifelong friends, and sometimes those are people that, that pop in for, for a season or for even a very, very short period of time. But Paul gives us a warning with this. He understands other people are going to come and build on it. And he's not upset by that, but he is concerned. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Let each one take care. Everyone who builds upon it should beware that they are speaking the truth, that they are encouraging people based on what Scripture says, not based on their own opinions. This is something I've uh, said lots, is if you disagree with me on a Sunday morning, that's totally fine, I understand that, but you better disagree because of what Scripture says. We don't just want to come up, we never want to have pastors and teachers and, and even authors, we don't want them to just share their opinions about things. We want them to share what Scripture says and, and help us open scripture so that we would understand it more fully. But Paul understands that that is not always easy. That we can misunderstand scripture, and so we should be careful. We should take care, almost as simple as boiling it down, to think first, then speak. And that's something that probably people like myself and and maybe you need to be reminded of often. So others are going to come in and teach. Paul gets that, but he tells them to give warning. So, so listen to the warning now. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It sounds very simple, right? Paul says, I came and I presented to you with the gospel, Jesus Christ crucified, that he was raised from the dead, that he is at the right hand of the Father, and that we are now his workmanship, that we are out doing good works and good deeds by the grace given to us that God has prepared before us in advance. And so we we need to be aware. Everything that we do should be built on the foundation of the gospel. And and I know that sounds maybe oversimplistic, 
but I have seen many, many people stray from their original understanding of the gospel because of certain teachers or certain authors. And they've liked the logic behind what they've read or heard, and they start building a a structure that is not even on that foundation. And that's what Paul's whole point is here, is if you build anything other than upon the foundation of the gospel, that structure will fall. That's his warning to us. So notice in verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. So he gives example. Any of these kind of building materials, some of them, according to the text here, are going to survive and some of them won't. Will be rewarded for some and some there may be rebuke or discipline for. Uh, Theologian Frank Thielman writes it this way. He says, work that Christians do in Christ-like faith and obedience will survive and will be rewarded. Work done in the power of the flesh or in disobedience to Scripture will not. The reality is, and Scripture speaks to this, and I'm going to read you a couple of different verses, that there are rewards for what we do here. So, so let me say this very simply, is what we do here and now matters. It matters. Paul's focus is not only on eternity, but the treasures that will await us in eternity. And already that kind of maybe sounds like, whoa, whoa, we shouldn't go there. We shouldn't be talking about treasure because there might be jealousy and all these things. Well, well, let me deal with this. But first, let me give you a few other verses so that you see that rewards will be given. It's a scriptural thing. 2 Corinthians 5.10, as I mentioned, Paul's second letter that we know of. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 1 Corinthians, sorry, 1 Timothy 6.16 and 17 Paul writes this to Timothy, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us everything to enjoy. They are to do good, sorry, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this to his disciples. He's kind of contrasting worldly with godly. And he says, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We could get into Revelation and we could look at many other texts, but it, it simply is the reality that we will be rewarded or what we have done in the body. Or, alternatively, according to Paul here, some of those things will be burned away and we will suffer loss. Now, I said this last week, but I think it bears repeating. When we think about rewards and we think, well, what if when I get to heaven, that person is a huge reward and I have a little, will that make me feel insufficient or, or, or will I be jealous or covetous of those kinds of things? What we need to remember is right now we have a sin nature, a human nature that is fighting against our new spiritual nature, the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, and hopefully more often than not, we submit to the Holy Spirit. We do what is right and what is good. 
But it doesn't take us too long to reflect on maybe yesterday or maybe, you know, this last week of times where we did not, where we chose our own desires, where we gave in to selfish things. That's the reality of the battle that we face now. Romans 7, Paul talks about that explicitly. But when we go to be with God, that human nature is gone. And only our new nature exists. There will be no more jealousy. There will be no more covetousness. The reality is we will go to be with the Father and everything that he gives to us as rewards are for his glory in the first place anyway. So it's not like we're going to be comparing people. I had someone in my office last week and we were kind of chatting about this specific uh, topic and he said, he said, I never really worried about that because it's, it, I just assume that Paul is going to have greater treasures than I will and I can just make peace with that. And I think there's some simplistic truth to that. Is there some that God has used mightily? Don't they deserve rewards for their obedience and for their faithfulness? But what we need to remember is that what we get is because that's what we did. Now, Paul says he will suffer loss, and so I want to talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, one of the commentators I read, Pratt, says this this week. He says, church leaders, he, he's talking specifically in the context of church leaders, but I think that the, uh, the big picture, pardon me, of this is that it goes on to everyone, but he, he, Pratt is no, focusing on spiritual leaders. He says, they can build upon the foundation of Christ's gospel in two different ways. On one hand, they can use gold, silver, and costly stones, and these materials will withstand the fire of God's scrutiny that will test the quality of their work. On the other hand, they can build with wood, hay, or straw, and such materials will not withstand the fire of divine judgment. As I was reading through these verses and reading many, many different commentators, uh, their views on this, and what they were trying to say is, is one said that the division and the disunity that's at Corinth is a direct result of some building or trying to build on a foundation other than Christ. Paul's warning is that you could potentially suffer great loss if you're not careful about the foundation that you build upon and how you do it. So wood, straw, hay, it's going to be burned up. It has no value. Only what has value will be left. So, but then he says, like, just look at the verse. There's a couple of things. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. So as I mentioned last week, we're not talking about salvation here. Everyone who has made Jesus their Lord and Savior, they are saved. So these verses are not talking about those who build with proper materials are going to then get to go to heaven, and those who build with wood, straw, and hay don't, and they will go to hell. That's not what the Scripture teaches, not what it says here. He's going to clarify that in just a couple of verses, and we'll talk about that. But right here, he's saying what you do matters. And if you build out of you know, wood, straw, and hay, your, your work's going to be burned up, and you will suffer loss, though you will be saved. So what does that mean? Well, I think in a really simple way is that if we buy into some kind of a, a, you know, a bad theology and we start building upon the structure 
with what we think are good materials but are actually in contradiction with Scripture is when we come to the end and we stand before, stand before God and He deals with what we've done in the body, is we're going to realize everything we did was worthless and was for naught because we totally misunderstood. We will suffer loss. Morris writes it this way, uh, he will suffer loss means he will lose his wage. He's a workman fined for poor workmanship. And Pratt writes, but if the work is burned up by the divine judgment, the true believer himself is saved, but only as one escaping through the flames of a burning house. And that's kind of the picture that we have here. So we're in our, in our own home, and it starts on fire, and nothing can be saved. All we can do is run out, and we can barely escape. Paul says, you, you will escape, but you'll have nothing to show for it. And I know that that sometimes goes against kind of what we think about is that we, we shouldn't worry about the rewards that we're given. And you're right, we shouldn't do those good works for God so that we get rewards. Once we understand that those rewards are for his honor and for his glory, not our own anyway, our motivation shifts. And we do it because it honors him, not because it honors us. And so we, as followers of Christ, we want to honor God. We want to glorify him. We want to exalt him. We want everyone to see who this God is because of what he has done for us. And it just blows our minds that we are loved by the creator of the universe and that, that Jesus went to the cross uh, willingly to die for my sins so that I could be redeemed and I could be bought and I could be adopted into his family. I want to declare that God to the world so that they experience what, what I've seen. That Jesus is greater than anything that we could have, that the world could offer us. So that's what we're seeing here. Is what are you going to do with your life? And right now he's telling the Corinthians is your disunity and your arrogance and your division over all of these silly things that all that's going to be burnt up and you're going to regret all of that because none of it has meaning. Unite together and serve Christ willingly, and love each other the way that God has loved you. That's his point. Commentator B. Winter says it very convictingly. I don't know if that's a word, convictingly, but, you know, whatever. He says, their salvation is not in question, but their God-given role in the church has been thoroughly discredited by their own activity. Man, is that, would be, that would be the worst to stand before God and realize that everything we did mattered for nothing because we were doing it for our own selves or because we went away from what the gospel teaches and we got sidetracked on other theologies, other things that are not in accordance with God's word. So Paul says it, be careful how you build upon it. What you do now matters for eternity. He transitions then out of 15 into 16. And he continues with this architectural imagery, right? Do you not know that you, that's plural in the Greek, you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. Now you may remember back at Pentecost, right? In Acts chapter 2 is the Holy Spirit comes and, and it's, it's worded really interesting, but it's like tongues of fire that come down and that rest, and the Holy Spirit is then given into those people. And the imagery 
if you know your Old Testament, is that of this, is the, God's Holy Spirit, God's presence dwelt in the temple. But now that was coming out of the temple and was being given into each individual person who declared Jesus as Lord. So God's Spirit dwells in you. Almost you could think of it as you are little mini temples. God is in you. And as you go out and as you minister, as as you speak, as you live, you are representing his temple. And so another warning comes. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Again, plural in the Greek. You are that temple. There's a sense that it's individual, but there's also the sense that we're talking about the church corporately. So what is Paul saying? Well, Thielman writes, the one who destroys God's temple or the church is not part of God's people, and so he faces eternal destruction on that final day. So we've just talked before about all Christians and about it being important how you build and what happens, but he's not talking about salvation there. He's simply talking about rewards. Now he goes down and says this, is if you are intentionally dividing the church because you think you're greater than everybody, he's warning them, you need to go back to the gospel because you might not even understand it. And if you don't understand it and you attack God's church, you're not part of his family. And if you're not part of his family and you attack his church, the consequences of that will be far more than suffering loss. They'll be suffering loss and missing out on the salvation that was offered to you at that point. So, Let's ask that question is, do we seek division? When we hear other people say certain things, do we want to fight with them? Do we want to argue with them because what we know is right and everyone else is wrong? I don't know how. I shouldn't say that because I do know because I do this sometimes too. Is I have an elevated sense of self often. And I think we all do from time to time. And if we have arrogance in us and we say, I know and you don't, how, how can we be in Christ? Everything should point back to the love, the grace, and the mercy of Jesus. And if we see someone who is in the wrong, theologically, they're all kinds of, they're messed up, they don't understand what it says, that shouldn't ever make us angry We should go to them with love and grace and want to talk to them about the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, so that they can go back and they can go back to the foundation that is Jesus Christ, so that they can build upon their foundation with what is right and what is good. Then he says, let no one deceive himself, verse 18. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, Let him become a fool that he may become wise. So we talked a lot about this last week, so I don't really want to spend a lot of time here except to say he he quotes from from Job and then he quotes Psalm 94.11. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So Paul's just trying to remind them again, look, you're after all this worldly wisdom and it is worthless compared to God's wisdom. Has no value at all. So practically speaking, in our lives, when we look at this, the job that we might take, where we're going to choose to live, or how we're going to choose to live, all of those things, they're not simply material things that we should use worldly wisdom for. We should go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? 
How do you want me to live? Where do you want us to go? And, and how do you want us to live in that community that we are in? All of it is meant to be spiritually minded. And I think sometimes, probably too often, I myself look at things from very illogical, worldly standpoint. And I need to be reminded that that only gets me so far. And that God actually says it's foolishness compared to what he is offering me. So I need to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ask God, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? How can I use the job that I have to, for your glory and not my own? Right? And, and I mean, I, I get it. You might think, well, that's easy for me to say because I'm a pastor. I get to teach these things and preach these things every week. But, but I work in this one place, and it's, it's just a simple job and it has nothing to do with God. Well, again, I, I don't know if that's completely true. Scripture says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So I think no matter what we do, no matter what our job is, is we can use it in a way that honors God. And we can use it to reach the people that we interact with and that we work with in very effective ways if we allow the Holy Spirit to work within us. Paul concludes what he said here, uh, and he says this multiple times, but he concludes with this idea of identity. Don't boast in men. You are not of them, you are of God. Who do you belong to? Right? They're arguing over Apollos and Peter and Paul and all these things, and, and, and maybe, you know, us in our context. Maybe you have a favorite preacher, favorite author, favorite blogger, somebody who you look at and you go, this person, they get it, and I'm only going to listen to them. Paul's saying you're missing out. You're missing the whole point. Notice how he says this, is whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, or the, wor excuse me, the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, all are Christ's, and Christ is God. All truth belongs to God. And if we refuse to listen to other sources because we, we are certain this person or, or this teacher or this whatever it is, they have it and nobody else does, is we're going to be very narrow-minded. And we're going to miss out on all kinds of things that God wants to teach us and show us. All truth is God's. And so when we hear things that we disagree with, instead of arguing, go to Scripture and, and go to Scripture with an open mind to see is that true? Have I misunderstood something here? And read it and read through Scripture and study and ask God to reveal what is true to you in the text. Last week in our young adult Bible study, we kind of got a glimpse of that where there was kind of two ways to interpret something. And I posed the question kind of is, is, which, is the, which is right here, option A or option B? And then we followed through the text and we allowed the narrative of what the text says to determine our answer. And by the time we got to the end, everyone agreed across the board that option A, this is obvious. Because we've read this over and over and we've seen the contrast, the comparisons. We've seen what Luke is reading to us or writing to us in the book of Acts and it, it's very clear. That's what happens when we open scripture and when we really study it to see, not to prove my point, but to see what God's point is. His final words again. You are Christ's 
and Christ is God. L. Morris writes it this way, is the Corinthians were acting as though they were their own masters, whereas they really belonged to Jesus. You know, Paul's going to say this later on in 1 Corinthians a few chapters from now. He's going to say, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. And we need to be reminded of that often as I am not my own master. I do not belong to myself anymore. My allegiance is with Jesus. So I will give everything that I have to him. In a few minutes here, we're going to spend some time in communion, uh, which you know is in 1 Corinthians, but a few pages ahead. So I'm just going to pray as we close this part of it here. And if you're at home and, and you need to run and grab some stuff, you can just hit pause uh, right here. But let's just spend a few minutes in prayer. God, thank you for what this text has said to us. God, may how we choose to live right now, may we choose to build out of materials that will last. May we do things for your kingdom and for your glory, for your honor. May you steer us back towards yourself when we stray a little bit. May we not buy into false teaching and faulty doctrine, but may we just be students of the word that we read and study what you have said to us so that we can understand it more clearly. God, above all, remind us that we are not our own masters, that we have submitted our lives to Jesus Christ. So let all the decisions that we make, the things that we do, may all of it, be filtered under a wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit, not from the world. Show us what is true and right and good and, and give us opportunities for us to see that in, even in our workplace that maybe seems as secular as it could be and has nothing to do with God. Would you give us opportunities to have spiritual conversations with people? Give us opportunities where how we conduct ourselves can point to your glory and, and not our own. God, as the text has said, we are your temple. You live in us. May others not see us, but may they see, may they see you in us. And may how, may how we live point only to you. God, we thank you for this. Pray that you would give us wisdom as we seek to build, on, build upon this foundation with materials that last. God, we love you. Now, if you, uh, you want to just flip ahead to chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to read to you just, just as I, before I do that, I just want to grab my stuff that I need. So I just want to read verse 23 and following to you. Now, each month, first Sunday of the month, we, this is our tradition in our churches, that we focus back on the cross very specifically. We believe that when Jesus had that meal with his disciples, that he said, do this in remembrance of me. In this, we will need to be reminded of this often. And as we've seen here at the church in Corinth, they confessed Jesus as Lord and they wanted to follow him, but then quickly found themselves living for themselves. 
And I think one of the things that communion does for us is it helps us to focus back in on the reality that it's because of Jesus. He died on the cross. He gave his life for us so that we might live. And, and so when we gather together, and, and again, even though we're online, most of us is as a family or, or as a couple of people, or maybe even you as an individual, you can recognize that there's many of us here in Banff Park Church that are, that are doing this at the exact same time. One of the blessings that has come out of some of the challenges lately is that I see the global church, all those who confess Jesus, in, in a lot different light now. I see them more clearly because I'm not able to see those that I am used to seeing and worshiping with so often. And so I'm choosing to see past that and remember that there's so many all over the world that are this morning right now that are, that are reading this text with us, that are celebrating communion, that are reminding themselves of Jesus' death and his resurrection and reorienting their focus back on Jesus away from themselves an amazing thing. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23, says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now in a few weeks, we're going to get, well, maybe a few months, we're going to get to this passage. And we're going to see that Paul's actually correcting a very poor understanding that they had about communion. But for us right now, as, as we read this and we say we need to be reminded to focus on Jesus, to let all the other stresses, all the other difficulties and the challenges that all of us face, and, and I don't mean to belittle them or to pretend like they're not there. They are, and we need to process them. But that for a few moments, we can kind of push those things to the peripherals so that our focus can be on Jesus and we can say, God, I... Help me to trust in you in these days. When I'm frustrated, when I'm filled with anxiety, when I'm not sure how to live, when I'm not sure how to do anything because there's restrictions on all these things and there's just so much confusion, we can go push it all aside and go, God, would you, would you let the Holy Spirit lead me and guide me and would I submit to that so I can see what you are calling me to do in these days? Let me pray for the bread. God, we thank you that you are at work. That even in some of these seasons that we're going through right now of difficulty and challenge and uncertainty, is none of this has caught you by surprise. And in fact, according to Scripture, all of these things exist for our good because you want to use them as ways to redeem us and to bring you or bring us more more and more like Jesus. And so God, would we be able to let go of all the distractions, of all the challenges and struggles that we're having right now? May we look to the cross and may we be reminded that Jesus was willing 
to have his body broken for us. Because of his love for us. And God, we thank you that that this has nothing to do with me because of me. It has everything to do with your love and your grace for me. You have created me in your image and you love me. So God, would you help all of this to be less about us and more about you. We thank you for your body broken for us so that we could see your example, so that we might know that we are loved by the creator of the universe. Amen. So whether you're at home and you have a little piece of bread you got to rip off or, or whether you have a cracker like I do here, is let's take, let's break and let's eat this in remembrance of him. God, for the cup that we now hold in our hands that represents your blood poured out for us, we're reminded right of what we just read, the new covenant that's in your blood. There's no longer a need to sacrifice for sins because Jesus' blood paid for all of it. There's no way that we can ever express our thankfulness for that. But God, this, excuse me, this morning we, we come to you trying to focus in on this and trying to let everything else go so that we might remember your death, your resurrection, that you conquered death and that because of your blood it has forgiven our sins and that death is not the end for us but that we get to go and be with you for all of eternity. God, may we not only do this once a month where we come together for communion but may we do this daily where we focus in on you. Where we remind ourselves we are bought with a price. That is Jesus' blood. So we are no longer our own masters, but we serve you because you are the only thing, you are the only one worth serving. So God, this cup that we're about to drink together, we are so grateful, we're so thankful, but may it be a reminder to us that Jesus gave everything to us. And so in response, We want to give everything back to you. Amen. So let's take and drink in remembrance of him. Let me just pray to close this morning. Thank you for joining us uh, from wherever you are. Know that we are doing our best to try and and make all these uh, online things work uh, in the best way that we can. 
And so if you are logged in through our website, is, is we have a couple of people who have volunteered uh, graciously to, to have a f- couple of roles with what we're doing. And, and one of those roles is that they want to facilitate some conversation uh, after church. And, and if you just need, you know, a little five minutes of chatting with a few people, then that's great. But if, if you're struggling with something, if you're hurting, if you're dealing with some uncertainty or whatever it is, that there are people that there's, there's a group that wants to connect with you and there's another group that wants to pray with you. And so if you would like to, by all means, in these next moments, we're going to leave it open for a half hour today um, and see how that goes and, and what happens. But we just want to make sure that we are creating and making space for you to have spiritual conversation, to ask questions, to share your hurt, to know that you're prayed for and that you're cared for. So when I close here, uh, feel free to log in to that. And if you are watching on YouTube or or Facebook this morning, and, and you weren't part of the chat, is feel free to just go to bampparkchurch.com, right on the homepage, click on that church online link, and, and you can be connected with somebody who will chat with you and pray with you. Let's, uh, let's close now. God, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for all of those who make these services possible. There are so many people behind the scenes that have worked so hard to make things run the way they are. And God, I'm so grateful for their service, for their sacrifice of time, for their learning of new skills and and new information. None of it has gone smoothly, and so I'm so thankful for their perseverance. God, thank you for each one who calls Banff Park Church their home. We pray that they would grow in their faith and their knowledge of you and that the way that they live would just be a testament to the maturity that comes through following the Holy Spirit. And God, for those this morning, if there are any that have joined us that are not part of a church, that are not familiar with what Christianity even means, would you give them the courage to join in on the conversation, to ask some questions, to reach out to somebody? God, would you be at work in each one's heart Would each of us become more like you? Would each of us mature a little bit more than we were yesterday? God, we are so grateful and thankful for all that you do. Go with us this week. Give us opportunities to shine your light into a very dark world. Amen.